when the winds changed, when they were doing the Maralinga testing, the winds changed and the winds blew that radiation fallout all over Australia and Tasmania. And the government has not even looked at that. It won't acknowledge it. And it certainly won't apologise and promise never to let it happen again. Sue Coleman-Hasseldean is a Gugatha woman who lives in Seduna in South Australia. The township is known as Australia's cancer capital. In the 1950s, in Maralinga, in the South Australian outback, nine full-scale atomic bombs and over 600 nuclear tests left the land highly radioactive. Birth defects and cancers have spread right across the community. Sue has had her thyroid removed, and her granddaughter is also battling thyroid cancer. Of course, Maralinga is still hanging over the top of our heads. It's still causing a lot of illnesses, and people don't want a, a second dose of it. Sue is concerned the Australian government won't take Indigenous perspectives into account as they begin looking into a potential nuclear energy industry in Australia. Why is the government you know, trying to put us through all this again when they haven't even apologised or done rectified anything from the fallouts, the Maralinga fallouts? They haven't apologised to the people of Australia. They've done nothing and they're just carrying on blindly. On today's episode, why Australia is reviving the nuclear energy debate after more than a decade of silence, and why some are dubbing nuclear as our climate salvation. This is Think Sustainability. I'm Julia Karkatzel. In August of this year, Federal Energy Minister Angus Taylor launched a parliamentary inquiry into the prerequisites for nuclear energy in Australia, opening up discussion on nuclear after a decade. In fact, Australia has had a ban on nuclear since 1998 under the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. So why now? I'm really concerned about climate change and I see nuclear energy as being the fastest way to reduce our emissions intensity. Robert Parker is the vice president of the Australian Nuclear Association, an independent scientific institution which supports the use of nuclear science and technology in Australia. The environmental advantage of nuclear energy is the fact that nuclear power plants don't emit carbon into the atmosphere. Robert says the other main reason nuclear is being looked into as a possible energy source is because of rising electricity prices and job insecurity. The Australians are starting to get very concerned about their electricity prices. We're seeing industry having to close down in high demand periods. We're seeing it affect jobs. So this is where there is a lot of angst. We were down there in the Latrobe Valley a couple of weeks ago talking to workers down there who are really worried about losing their jobs with the coal power plants closing down. So I think that's really playing a lot into the issue. The inquiry will also examine new technologies in the nuclear industry, which have evolved since the smokestack days of the 1980s. The small modular reactor is one such technology. 
Small modular reactors, or SMRs, are a relatively new technology, promising a cheaper and safer alternative to a traditional power plant. A traditional nuclear power plant produces energy from splitting uranium atoms in a reactor to heat water into steam, turn a turbine and generate electricity. With an SMR, or small modular reactor, you're using the same process. You're using uranium, but you've only got about 6% of that 80 tonnes. So you've got about 4 or 5 tonnes of material sitting in the reactor. So that means you've got a very lower level of something that could affect us if it went wrong. But also, because it's such a small amount, then you can just cover it in water and it will um, heat up that water locally. So all the decay heat is uh, contained. Decay heat is the heat that continues to be generated after a reactor has been shut down. Since there's no way to immediately shut down a nuclear reactor, cooling systems must operate. Otherwise, this decay heat will continue to heat up and melt, releasing radioactive materials into the atmosphere. But small modular reactors are designed to be passively safe, that is, not requiring an operator or backup water to stop a meltdown. And small modular reactors don't require as much water as a traditional power plant, which, located near rivers, lakes or the coast, can guzzle up to 24 billion litres per year. In addition to being safer, they are also cheaper to build over time than traditional nuclear power plants. The more reactors built, the cheaper each new one becomes. The hope for small modular reactors is that instead of building large ones on a site where they're kind of custom built to suit the site, the idea is to try to bring in the economies of scale of what you can do in a factory, a bit like aircraft. You put them in a big hangar, build them quickly and churn them out and build them hopefully close by um, communities so that uh, we can have our power close at hand. We've got to get enough orders so that a factory can be built so that hundreds of thousands of things were being freighted all around the United States and elsewhere around the globe to uh, get up and running with them. If you can't build a big one, build a small one. Constructing a traditional nuclear power plant in Australia, let alone a nuclear energy industry from scratch, would take 10 to 15 years and require billions of dollars. So the SMR idea is an appealing one. Economically viable and safe, SMRs could be deployed around the country, near off-grid settlements needing power. Each reactor would range between 50 to 200 megawatts of electricity, powering around 60,000 homes. But small modular reactors have only been established in a military context, on submarines. The idea to use them as a domestic energy source is entirely new. At the moment, this is only uh, a plan and a proposal. It's a bit like buying an apartment from uh, off the plan. You have a nice brochure, but you can't be certain that in the end you'll actually have the, the apartment and you don't know at what conditions you get the apartment. So that's the situation of it. Colourful brochures, but no real facility. Heiko Timmers is an experimental physicist and an internationally published expert on nuclear physics. And because it's a completely different type of 
reactor, uh, licensing something like this uh, will take a lot of time. And there is only one attempt so far to build such a reactor in Idaho. And uh, at the moment, I understand there is a licensing process um, underway to, to demonstrate that this technology actually works. So there is no example, no precedence for Australia to do that. And we would be the, if we would do this today, if we would buy or engage with one of those companies today, we would be the first to do that. Many experts are just as sceptical as Heiko, concerned the risk factor of SMR technology will continue to turn away investors. Another huge deterrent of nuclear energy is waste. Nuclear reactors produce nuclear waste, or used fuel, which is dangerously radioactive, remaining so for hundreds of years. When waste first comes out of the reactor, it's so toxic that if you stood close to it while unshielded, you would receive a lethal radioactive dose within a few seconds and die of acute radiation sickness within a few days. And although SMRs are designed to produce less radioactive waste than standard, bigger reactors, the issue of where to safely dispose the waste remains unsolved. I'm also not sure that you actually gain so much because what you really want nuclear power can offer is a, is a lot of energy, like a gigawatt of electricity, and with a low carbon footprint, and you can produce that in, in, in one location. So you have to secure and make one location safe. If you take the smaller reactors, you either place 10 of them in one place, and then you have the same situation, or you distribute them around the country, that gives you flexibility. But that also means that you have to secure 10 sites, and, and um, the um, practicalities of that are unexplored. And uh, since Australia is starting from scratch, as far as nuclear power is concerned, it's a, it's a very risky business to do that. The public fear of radioactive nuclear waste makes SMR technology and the broader nuclear energy industry a hard sell. When the governments talk about these small modular reactors, they're unproven, they're uncertain, and there's certainly no basis for a national energy policy. Kerry-Ann Garlick is a nuclear-free community campaigner for the Conservation Council of Western Australia. She is also a committee member for the Western Australian Nuclear Free Alliance, which has brought together Aboriginal people, NGOs and health professionals concerned about nuclear developments in Australia. Most recently, the Alliance hosted an event supporting their members to draft and send submissions to the parliamentary inquiry into nuclear. Yeah, we had a really great um, outcome with that event. I think people are frightened um, and, and really upset that this uh, inquiry is actually happening, that we have to go through this process again where um, we should be legislating against um, you know, nuclear power even being talked about and, and having these inquiries that are a waste of time and a waste of money where we, you know, have strong reasons and strong arguments that are proven um, about this industry and this toxic industry from the beginning right through to the end. You know, we haven't come up with um, a safe disposal of this um, waste um, that's produced from a nuclear power plant. Although countries have endeavoured to build repositories for nuclear waste, Finland is the only country expected to open one anytime soon. 
And the way they do it in Finland is that they take the fuel elements, they encapsulate it into a, a copper steel canister, which is then surrounded by a relatively um, soft uh, material like concrete, but a, a softer version of concrete. And then this, this tube is uh, moved into a cave and the cave is fully enclosed. And um, the um, facility is managed over 60, 70 years and uh, more expired fuel is added to it. And then eventually uh, the, the caves and the facility underground is completely closed off with the idea that the, um, the spent fuel becomes part of the, the rock formation there. Then at that time, maybe in 70 years or 80 years time, you can then close off the site and maybe put a site at the top with some information saying, look, this is where we have deposited nuclear fuel. Excess radioactive waste lying around, whether in repositories or elsewhere, is by no means ideal. And there are challenges communicating its danger to future generations. Australia doesn't currently store nuclear waste. The nuclear waste produced by the uranium we export is managed by other countries. Australia is home to one-third of the world's uranium. Last year we exported 7,000 tonnes of it at the value of $600 million. But nuclear physicist Heiko says we could earn more if we start storing it. At the moment, the uranium that's exported from Australia overseas is processed, for example, in, in, in Canada, uh, enriched and then maybe used in a reactor uh, in Japan. And once the fuel's expired, the fuel elements are often kept on site next to the reactor. In fact, in Fukushima, when the Fukushima catastrophe happened, that was one of the issues that not just the reactor had a meltdown, but also there was all that um, uh, expired fuel right next to it in a water pool, which was kept there. Not only could we make money out of taking our own uranium back once it's been used um, and it would also fulfill an environmental purpose because we're taking it away from unsecure site if you imagine it being stored if you imagine the fuel elements being stored in japan in an earthquake zone it's much better to put it underground somewhere in australia there's also an ethical aspect to it because we're giving the uranium to the world and um, we're taking it back and of course, you can also promote it better. You can say, we we'll give you the uranium and we also make sure that once you've used it, it can be stored somewhere. You don't have to build your own facility. We're doing that for you. So there's, a, there's already a commercial um, uh, aspect to doing this right now and that could be explored and that, that doesn't have any lead time. But storing nuclear waste in Australia isn't such a great idea to everyone. Various groups like the Western Australia Nuclear Free Alliance were part of the campaign to stop a nuclear waste disposal site proposed for South Australia in the early 2000s. And there was the old ladies in South Australia that really, the Bungajuda that really fought against the waste dump up around Kibiti Way. The Aboriginal people, plus a lot of backing from the non-Aboriginal people, fought against it around Makati Harts Range. And now we've got the threat of it coming to South Australia, so we need to all stand together and fight against it again. Sue from Seduna says prioritising profit over the environment could be hazardous. And the waste dump really is just another nuclear weapon too. It's there. They don't need to transport it right around the countryside, endangering everything. Everywhere they go, there's danger, no matter which route they've come, by, by air, by sea or by road. There will be danger transporting that uranium waste around the countryside. 
She fears local community perspectives won't be considered if nuclear waste is transported around the country. You know, they, they will just do it. They won't take into the consideration the consideration of the people, whether it's black, white or brindle. There's a lot of people around here that does not want that nuclear waste dump. Across the globe, nuclear energy complements other sources successfully in some countries like France, where power plants account for 70% of total electricity production. Others, like South Korea, are looking to restart their nuclear industries. But the nuclear solution, whether used as an isolated energy source or complementing other technologies, may not be the right solution for everyone. There is a different answer for each country, and that's what we need, is we need to understand what that looks like in terms of uh, needing to have uh, a nuclear option in that mix. Uh, personally, that's not my belief that we need that, that we actually, I believe that we have the technologies that are, that are available to us today. Danny Alexander is a research principal at the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology, Sydney. And those technologies, she says, are renewables. just in wind and solar PV, those resources that we have here in Australia are huge compared to other countries that have installed a lot more than we have already. And to me, those are, are a lower risk option. We're on track to meet our 2020 target, which has been driven by this RET, the Renewable Energy Target now, um, and that is great news. But what happens next is the real question, uh, because there isn't anything that is following on from the RET at this point in time. We do need to make sure that the planning is in place so that those new systems are coming online and they're managed appropriately. Although wind, solar and other sources of energy like battery storage and pumped hydro look set to grow, we're not quite there yet. And the government maintains Australia needs a baseload generation. Baseload generation is large, regular and reliant supplies of electricity, which is traditionally provided by coal stations in Australia. Some advocates believe nuclear could one day supply that baseload. These days one has to look at baseload in, in, in another way and look at it as the, the way of supplying in a, electricity in a stable way. Uh, and that's something that uh, the proponents of uh, renewable energies would like to see just as well as the proponents of more old-fashioned uh, technologies of electricity generation would like to see. And uh, the challenge there is... Uh, possibly with uh, having a, a grid infrastructure that can, can deal with fluctuations. The grid infrastructure might have to be expanded and modernised so that it can deal with much larger fluctuations in the supply. Danny agrees we have the capacity to do that. She understands reliability is a valid concern and says there are lots of solutions where the grid can be managed without any impact to reliability. I, I kind of consider us in a, a post-baseload world, or that's where we're moving towards. Once we can crack that nut and we can access that really low-cost resource, which is the way that we use energy, we can then, I think, uh, start considering, okay, what are the larger, uh, longer-term, big investments that need to happen on the grid?
Nuclear technology, as it stands today, is a pretty risky investment because of the cost and environmental impact from waste. But Heiko says as the nuclear energy industry develops, there may be plenty opportunities for Australia to implement safer and cheaper alternatives in the future. And in fact, there are opportunities maybe 10, 15 years ahead from now, which uh, might permit reactor technology that is considerably different from the, the current light water reactors and quite different also from these SMR, which are touted at the moment. And uh, they could involve uh, thorium as the, the starting uh, fuel for the reactor. And uh, they also use the technology which is known as molten salt um, uh, reactor technology. And uh, in particular, the molten salt reactor te technology removes the water out of uh, the reactor. Once you remove the water as a coolant from the reactor and replace it with molten salt, and mix in the, the fuel into the molten salt, you have a much more, you have a safer system than the reactors we have now. And that, that technology is at the brink of, is, is emerging. Recycling nuclear waste is another option, with advanced nuclear reactors potentially having the power to close the fuel cycle, meaning much less waste. But these technologies may take decades to develop. Heiko says he's just happy a discussion is underway. It's important that this discussion happens because Australia already has a very strong interest in um, nuclear power generation, not through our own domestic reactors, but through our uranium export. And um, being engaged also means that we can um, have some influence internationally what happens to the uranium and, and how the technolo technology develops. Advice from the Parliament's Environment and Energy Committee is expected before Christmas. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julia Carcatzel. Thanks for your company. <laughs>